0: May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Last Sunday was a fairly typical afternoon for the Lee family. We had lunch with some folks from church and then we made our way home. Isabella, our sophomore daughter, had some homework and so forth. And then about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, she happened to check her phone and saw on social media the tragic news that basketball star Kobe Bryant had died. And I said, what? Are you kidding me? No, Dad, it's it's right here. So I turned on the television and flipped it over to... CNN, and they were the one news channel that had the breaking story. And so I saw with my own eyes the things that were unfolding. That night after I got home from the congregational meeting, I sat there for two hours and watched many stories about his life, I was just really in shock with all of this, as many of you perhaps were. A week later today, now we know that there were nine people on board that helicopter that crashed, along with his oldest daughter, and there were no survivors. Innocent lives taken. And we mourn when these things happen. And over the last week, news outlets, social media, and sports from hockey to tennis to basketball have shown moving tributes to those who were involved. Players have worn Kobe's jerseys, and LeBron James gave an emotional speech Friday night in the Lakers' first game since Kobe's death against the Trail Blazers there in the Staples Center in Los Angeles. Kobe was the son of an NBA player and spent some of his early years in Italy where his father played professional basketball after having retired from the NBA here in America. He ended up graduating from high school in Philadelphia. And like Kevin Garnett, KG, and LeBron, he was one of the few extraordinary basketball players that entered the NBA draft straight out of high school, bypassing college. And he was drafted in 1996 by the Charlotte Hornets, who immediately traded him to the Lakers. Might they regret that trade? I imagine they did. And there, Kobe played until 2016, where he retired after 20 years in the NBA. He won five NBA championships, three in a row from 2000 to 2001 to 2002 an 18-time All-Star, and the MVP in 2008. But if you followed the narrative this week, he was most happy being a husband and a father of his four girls. Some of you might wonder why he wore two numbers in the NBA, the number 8 and then the number 24, both as a Laker. Number 8 was his number growing up in italy and number 24 was his number in high school in philadelphia but there's more than that after he made some poor choices in the early 2000s he found himself at a very low point in his life and during an interview he said quote i went from a person who was at the top of his game had everything going to a year later having absolutely no idea where life was going, or if you're even going to be a part of life as we all know it. However, at the start of the 2006-2007 season, ten years into it, he changed jersey numbers. He said it was time for a change. Quote, I started new. 24 is a growth. He said, physical attributes aren't there the way they used to be, but the maturity level is greater. Marriage, kids, you start being one of the older guys on the team instead of being one of the youngest. The switch from 8 to 24 helped keep me motivated as each day came, to take each day as a new day. He said, it's a new book. 24 24 is every day. And it was around this time that the trans, in this transition that he was inspired by the American I mean by the African snake the black mamba. He was moved by its power, by its temperament and by its speed, but what really moved him was that the snake shed its skin. There was a letting go a shedding of what was, a transformation, a new beginning for Kobe Bryant. This is what inspired the Mamba mentality, which became the guiding purpose of the sports academy that he founded after his retirement, where all of those in that helicopter were traveling on that Sunday morning last week. This Mamba mentality became the guiding principle of the Academy, which is constantly working to be the best version of yourself. Constantly working to be the best version of yourself. Kobe flipped the script. He did the opposite of his natural inclination, he did the opposite of what others would have anticipated. And he was never happier. We Christians are called to flip the script. We are called to do the opposite of our natural inclination that's selfishness and pride. Selfishness and pride are the root of all sin, say the theologians. We are called to do the opposite of what the world would expect of us Christians. You know, Sadly, the world expects us Christians to be holier-than-thou, hypocritical, and judgmental, among other perceptions. But we are called to flip the script when it comes to the concept of being blessed as well. We hear being blessed all the time, don't we? We hear it in church. God bless you. Nothing wrong with that. But we hear it a lot. We hear it in sports. God really blessed us with that W today. We hear it around the 4th of July. May God bless the USA. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's how we hear it a lot. I've been blessed. We're so blessed. You hear prosperity preachers about it. I've been blessed with the new bends in my driveway straight from heaven. That's poor theology. But we hear that. What does it mean? What does it really mean to be blessed? usually we associate it in prosperous land like the United States with plenitude. It means that we have a lot of something. Money, talent, property. Certainly in that sense, things haven't changed a whole lot over the past 2,000 years. If we were to ask any first century Jew who the blessed people were in their community, they would probably share with us the conventional wisdom of that day. Blessed are the ruthless for they are wealthy. Blessed are the wealthy, for they have lots of stuff. And blessed are the Romans, for they have power. And blessed are the powerful, for they get what they want. Today we might add some blessings that are peculiar to our own time and place in history. Blessed are the college-educated, for they get the good jobs. Blessed are the attractive, for they get fawned over. Lots of likes. Blessed are the arrogant and the ignorant, the mean and the petty, the shallow and the self-absorbed, for they get their own reality TV shows. Can you say bachelor and bachelorette, my friends? Every age and every culture has its own understanding of what it means to be blessed, and they are all surprisingly similar. Almost all of them involve fame and power or wealth, sometimes all three. But Jesus flips the script. Jesus takes all of this and stands it on its head. It's like pulling out a leaf blower from the bottom of the pulpit on a Sunday morning. What's that all about? I'm the one who left it under there, by the way, from a previous object lesson in a funeral service. I thank Amanda for putting it back in its rightly place so that the others can find it. Jesus redefines what it means to be blessed. He flipped the script. In the Sermon on the Mount, he redefines what it means to be a citizen of God's new world, a world Jesus called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. They're used interchangeably. Who are the people of God's world? In other words, what do Christians look like? We all may look different on the surface and speak a different language, but Jesus reveals at the very beginning of his discourse in the Sermon on the Mount that there are certain traits that will be common to all of those who are becoming a part of God's new world. Notice I say becoming. I believe that salvation is a process. Uh, Often we looked at this punctiliar salvation, this moment, and then we punched our ticket. All is good, and we continue on with life. But I believe, like Paul says, that we are to work out our salvation. That we are always being saved as we come along this journey of the Christian life, being part of God's new world. Jesus fleshes all of these traits out in this sermon which is really a summation of all of his sayings, teachings, and commands. Some of the Sunday school classes will be following along the Sermon of the Mount the next several weeks, as will the sermons. And we pray that God will continue to reveal all of this to us. Today, briefly, we see nine beatitudes, nine blessings. And they can be divided into three groups. Verses 3 through 5 speak of an emptying. An emptying of ourselves, a pouring out, mourning with those who have lost someone, and becoming meek. The key word in verses 3 through 5, I want you to remember, is compassion. In verses 6 through 8, Jesus speaks of the with what we are to be filled. The with what we are to be filled: righteousness, mercy, And undivided hearts. The key word here is justice. And verses 9 through 11 speak of what we pursue peace. The literal Greek translation, literal Greek means to literally pursue shalom, which is the Hebrew word we translate as peace. So uh, verses 9 through 11 speak of peace, reconciliation and truth and the key word here is reconciliation so I believe today that we could summarize the entire beatitudes with the three words compassion justice and reconciliation and we see these looking back at the prophet Micah chapter 6 verse verse 8 where it says you know what does the Lord require of you to seek justice to love kindness And to walk humbly with your God, to seek shalom, reconciliation. If I were taking notes in the sermon section, sermon notes section today, I would write these three words I would write compassion, justice, and reconciliation. And I would be committing those to prayer as a person of the kingdom of God on this earth to see how God might use me to flip the script. And be about compassion, justice, and reconciliation. In an exhortation on the Beatitudes entitled Rejoice and Be Glad, Pope Francis speaks of the Beatitudes as a call to holiness in everyday life. Francis challenges us to be as saints next door. Or as he further describes it, middle class holiness. And I love that. That I might be the saint next door, choir. Middle class holiness in everyday life. People who quietly persevere in their holiness because our lives have become so closely united with Jesus Christ. Francis describes these kind of Christians as, quote, God's invitations to deepen our capacity to love. We become happy and holy to the extent that we go against the flow, he says. Might I use other words that the extent we become happy and holy to the extent that we flip the script flipping the script of many of the world's values, choosing instead to be poor of heart, to share in others' mourning and loss, to react to others with meekness and humility, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to see and act with mercy, to vigilantly keep our hearts free to love, to sow peace around us, And to keep the gospel with us always, even in the face of persecution. One Sunday, as they drove home from church, a little girl asked her mom a question. She said, She said, Mommy, the pastor said some things in church today that I don't really understand. And she said, well... What is it, honey? And she said, well, the pastor said that God is way bigger than we are. And that God could hold the whole world in the palm of his hand. Is that really true? And her mommy said, yes, it is, honey. It's true. Our pastor was telling you the truth. Can I ask you another question? Yes, honey. He also said that when we believe in Jesus as our Savior, that God comes to live inside of us. Is that true? And she said, and explain a little bit, Yes, it is, honey. That's also true. And with a kind of puzzled look on her face, she then said to her mommy, so what you're saying is that God is big and he lives in us. And if that is true, then shouldn't he show through? Shouldn't he show through? I think that little girl summed up the Beatitudes God showing through us. Sisters and brothers, flip the script. Don't go with the flow. Allow God to flow through you. Allow God to show through you. Seek justice. Love kindness. And walk humbly with your God. And in the words of Jesus... Whatever you have done to the least of these sisters and brothers of mine, you have done unto me. Flip the script. Jesus gives complete new meaning to bread and wine. That night with his disciples gathered in the upper room, he flipped the script on those two elements of the supper. And he took the bread and he prayed over it and broke it and distributed it to to them and said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. As often as you shall meet, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the wine and he blessed it and he poured it out. And he said, this is my blood shed for you for the remission of your sins and the sins of many. As often as you gather together, take and drink, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the death of the Son of Man until he comes. We preach Christ crucified and we preach Christ who will come again in his glory. Today our deacons will serve you and you are all invited. The table is open to everybody, every age. Parents and grandparents, if you have little ones, then you all can instruct them in the way that your family would like to go. But the table is open to all. Would you bow with me in prayer? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for these elements as they remind us of Jesus and the price he paid for our redemption as he flipped the script on what it means to be a citizen of heaven on this earth. Lord, we are grateful for the forgiveness that is afforded to us through your grace. And in these quiet moments, we pray that we will offer our confessions to you and receive your mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Bless this meal, those who serve it, and everyone in this room, and those who are a part of the HRBC family wherever they might be. In Jesus' name, amen.